The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, we're going to get right into the Word this morning. We're going to continue in our series that we started last week called Death to Selfie, and I would encourage you, if you missed last week, man, go back and watch it online or listen to it. Uh, I really feel like it's one of those messages that uh, really could just create a real strong turning point in your life. I heard so many stories last week. Um, People are pretty generous, you know, oftentimes saying thank you for the message or whatnot. But when I hear specific stories from people about this actually changed or happened or changed the way I'm thinking as a result of something, I got a lot of those types of stories last week from people. So if you missed it for any reason whatsoever, which I'd have no idea why you would miss it. But if you did for any reason, um, I would encourage you to go back and to watch or listen uh, to that message because it's going to tie right in to this weekend's message. And the title of my message is Three Questions. That's the name of the message this week. If you are a note taker, and I hope you are, and write it down. Three questions that we're going to learn today. Because the thing that we asked ourselves last week is how are we supposed to live a God-first life that we all know we're supposed to live a God-first life, how are we supposed to do that in a me-first world? Everything is all about me, myself, and I in our culture and in our world. Everything just perpetuates that, and it just only just reaffirms that messaging that we've been receiving through the media, through advertising, through the way that our culture is being just driven more towards selfishness and self. And how are we supposed to live a God-first life? We know we're supposed to do that. We know that we're supposed to put God first. If you ask anyone, you know that they could probably tell you if they've been in church longer than five minutes that they're supposed to put God first, right? Some people that aren't even Christians know you're supposed to put God first in your life if they believe that there is a God. But how do we do that in a culture that is so me-first driven? So we want to ask ourselves questions today that are going to help us to do that because we know we should but we need to know how you know sometimes we recognize selfishness in our lives Uh, last week we talked about when the mirrors held up and we don't see selfishness and how we need to be broken over that and actually come to the realization that there's selfishness there and we need to repent of that and we need to be broken over our selfishness that's what we talked about last week but this week i want to bring up what if you recognize it and you still are living selfishly even though you realize you're being that way. How do we move past this? Like, you know, if you're behaving selfishly or reacting in a certain circumstance in a selfish way and you're like, I don't want to do this. I'm trying to not do this, but this is such a learned pattern in me that I don't know how to do anything different. And it's like once you get triggered to behave or act or react or have a selfish attitude, you can even recognize that you're being selfish in the moment, but you can't turn the switch off. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I'm still doing this, and I know it's not right. I know I need to live selflessly, not selfishly. So how do I do this, and how do I grow in living selflessly? You know, I think we generally, as a culture, think of ourselves as pretty good people. Most of the time we'll say, oh, that's a good person, or that's a good, uh, good guy or good gal or whatever. But the good things that we do don't necessarily make us good. Because at the core of who we are, oftentimes we're only focused on ourselves. That's why Scripture says we need to die to ourselves daily. And sometimes it's a moment-by-moment thing, not just a day-by-day thing. Because there's so many opportunities and so many challenges that we will face that will lead us into a place where we're tempted to make everything all about us. We'll struggle with grudges. 
We'll struggle with unforgiveness. We'll struggle with gossip. We'll struggle with complaining or shifting the blame. We'll struggle with all of these things that really are all about us. And really what needs to happen is we need to, practically speaking, develop a Christ-like attitude through growing in love and humility. We need to grow in love and humility. And today we're going to learn these three questions we need to ask ourselves when that selfishness flares up. And I believe this is going to help us to grow living a God-first life in a me-first world. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He said, this is your spiritual act of worship to present yourself as a living sacrifice. So here's the prayer that I think will help us as we are growing in this journey of sanctification to learn how to die to ourselves daily, to truly take up our cross and truly follow Christ. And I believe that's by us just simply saying, God, help me see that it's not about me. And that prayer needs to be prayed in a way that is driven by humility, that's driven by love. God, help me see that it's not about me. Even our members of our worship team backstage, if you were ever to go backstage, you would see there's a big sign before they walk out that they see, and it says, it's not about you. And it's just a reminder for us to remember, God, help us to see this is not about us. God, help me see it that it's not about me. For us to be a living sacrifice, you've got to remember, you've got the word living attached to the word sacrifice. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? Because when you think about sacrifice, you think about just death. You don't think about something being uh, living after it's sacrificed. But yet here in Scripture, we're told that we're, present, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means I have to die to myself so that Christ can be glorified and live through me. That means it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20, if you have your Bible and you want to flip over there with me. Galatians 2 and 20 says this. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Christian life. This is Christianity 101. To die to self, to deny yourself, to show Christ to the world. This is your spiritual act of worship, as Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12. It's our spiritual act of worship, a living, breathing sacrifice to now obey God, to represent Christ in the earth, and to live for the glory of God. But to live as a representative of Christ, you see, we must allow the character of Christ to show through our lives, through our actions, through our behaviors, through our reactions every single day. And when we read about Jesus' character and the way that he carried himself, and his attitude and his actions and the way he interacted with people, we see love and humility in every situation he faced. You know, we say the scripture, God is love. Love is not just something God does, it's who he is. It's literally his DNA. 
God's DNA is love. It's not just something he does occasionally or when he feels like it. No, it's who he is. So that means as I look at the life of Christ, as I see Christ in the scripture, everything he said, everything he did was driven by love and he always did it with an attitude of humility. Every single situation. Sometimes that meant that love would even confront. That would mean that his love would bring a degree of honesty that to the reader would seem harsh, but yet if God is love and Christ is the Son of God and we believe he's God in the flesh, then it had to be done in love. Otherwise, he wouldn't be who he said he was, right? I mean, he had to have done it in love. He would have had to have confronted in love. So even the truth and the harsh things that we see in Scripture and the confrontations, even those things were done in love because some people have this idea about love that it's passive. They have this idea that love means, oh, I'm just a Christian, I'm supposed to love everybody, so I just get run over all the time. That's not love. Being passive, sometimes being passive is the opposite of love because you're actually not standing up or stepping up for what is right. Right? So that doesn't mean we just let everyone run over us because we're supposed to be Christians and we're supposed to love. And we have a poor definition of love if that's what we understand love being. As we look at the life of Christ, we see that he did some harsh things, that he may have said some things that came across very hard as we read in Scripture, but he had to have done it in love because it's who he is. He is love. And so we have to understand that everything we do in our actions and in our interactions with other people whether they're things that we, because love also covers, but love also confronts. So if I am, am covering a situation and, and, and I'm not going to make a big deal about something and I'm going to let it go, then I'm doing so in love and humility. But if it's something I confront, I also have to do it in love and humility. Because we see every opportunity that Christ had to have the red carpet rolled out for himself, you see that he said, that's not why I came here. That's not why I'm here. Matter of fact, look at the birth of Christ. You know, the birth of the Savior of the world. It was in a barn. Okay? Think about a dignitary that would be coming to Sheboygan County. Think about how everybody would be freaking out about that. The motorcades that would come. The red carpets that would be rolled out. The extra attention that would be put to making sure that the towns were pristine or whatever hotel that this dignitary was staying in was absolutely pristine and that everything was just set according to all of their little likes and whims, right? Think about the long lines there would be if a celebrity comes to town and you get to meet the Rogers, right? You get to meet the Rogers once, oh man, there would be a line for days of people wanting to meet the Rogers. And so the thing is, is that we, we, we get that when it comes to celebs or dignitaries. But Christ said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, Christ didn't come to have the red carpet rolled out for him, even though he deserved it more than anyone the red carpet's ever been rolled out for. But he said, that's not what I came for. He said, I came to die for you. I came to give my life as a ransom for many to serve you. And with that attitude of humility, with that attitude of love, that should drive our attitudes, that should drive our behavior, that should drive our actions, that should drive our reactions, because it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me. Are you tracking with me this morning? And if it's Christ that lives within me, it should be Christ that's coming out of me, right? But for Christ to come out of me, something's got to die, that's got to be me. That's got to be my selfishness. That's got to be my way or the highway. God, help me see 
that it's not about me. So let's get to the questions. When selfishness flares up, the first question we need to ask ourselves is this, how would Christ respond? And I know that this is something that may sound surface level. It's not just a what would Jesus do question, but yet it's something where we temper our hearts to where our hearts and our attitudes are. How would Christ handle this situation? How would he engage? How would he act? How would he react? And if I don't know how Christ would respond, then I need to go to the scripture and see how Christ did respond. Because was Christ lied about? Yeah. Was Christ uh, abused? Was Christ uh, made fun of? Was Christ uh, ostracized? Was Christ threatened? Was Christ punished? Yes, absolutely. Christ was endured so much for you and for me. And how did he handle all of the punishment and the mocking and humiliation that was dealt to him when he was hanging on the cross? What was his attitude towards those people? Was he hanging on the cross and saying, you just wait? I don't find that in Scripture. Instead, he has his arms stretched wide and we read in Scripture, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. That's the attitude of Christ in a situation where the very people who were causing him pain, instead of him wanting retribution, he instead offers mercy and grace. That's how he responded in, even to death. You see, of course, if we ask this question before we ever have that bad attitude or have that bad response, we would avoid a cleanup on aisle three, right? <laughs> so we could say, how should I respond? beforehand and we need to get to that point but there are certain times where maybe you're triggered and you want to respond in a selfish way to your spouse or to your boss or to your coworker or to someone that has really gotten under your skin but how would Christ respond when that selfishness begins to flare up and I see it and I want to stop it and I want to grow in this process of sanctification because I don't want to just repeat the crazy cycle every time I'm in this scenario because if you do, you're just going to get stuck. And every time something doesn't go your way, you're going to get upset. Every time something doesn't go your way, you're just going to throw your hands up in the air and either withdraw or either be super confrontational where you just cause a bunch of problems and you just go through the same cycle over and over again. Have you ever said to your spouse or, or to a friend or to a family member or someone close to you, I'm tired of having the same argument? I'm tired of going down the same path with you. I'm tired of doing this. What's happened is you've gotten stuck in a cycle. And for you to break the cycle, you've got to do something different or wait and hope the other person changes. Good luck with the latter. <laughs> so how would Christ respond? How would Christ respond? Because did things necessarily uh, uh, go towards Christ's favor every, in every circumstance? No, because there are circumstances that people were wanting to kill him. That's not towards his favor. And how did he respond when things didn't go to a way that would be conditioned to his comfort? How did he respond when things didn't go a way that would, um, you know, just help him to live an easy life and everyone do what he wants them to do? When people responded contrary to the way Christ, how we should respond to him. How did he respond in those instances? So how do you respond to your spouse if maybe you come home and you don't feel like any enough has been done around the home, or if your kids aren't being respectful, or if your boss is being a jerk, or if there's something that you can't control, and, or you feel like there's something people should be doing, or someone disappoints you, or someone frustrates you, or someone lies about you, or someone causes you pain. How are you going to respond to that? Well, 
How would Christ respond to that? I need to stop and I need to say, God, help me see it's not about me. Galatians 5 and 16 says this, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have this flesh stuff here. That's why we have to deny ourselves daily. That's why we have to die daily, sometimes moment by moment, like I said earlier. But to walk in the Spirit means that I have to not gratify the flesh. I can't give the flesh its way. And I have to recognize that the flesh is going to blame and the flesh is going to make excuses. The flesh is going to say, oh, I would do this, but... I would do what I know is right, but... And listen, whatever follows that word but is the flesh speaking because the flesh talks out of its butt. (laughs) Whatever comes after the but is the flesh. Every time. If you know what's right to do, and often we know what's right to do, so why don't we do it? It's not because we have a lack of information. Come on. We live in information overload world, don't we? If you want to know something, Wikipedia always has it accurate. You can just jump on and go search it and find the answers that you're looking for. No, we have so much information at our fingertips. It's ridiculous. I mean, we used to wonder what that actor or actress we saw on that television show used to play in years ago. And we used to have conversations about it where we'd actually talk. Now we just go, hey, Siri, what show was this person in? And we find out instantly. We, 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 we used to do stuff like that, but we have all this information. We have this program that we use here at church that we have access to. It's called Right Now Media. If you're a community group leader, you'll know about Right Now Media. Right Now Media gives our church access to over 11,000 video-driven Bible studies. I didn't even know there were 11,000 video-driven Bible studies. That's crazy. And we have access to them. We pay a subscription, a subscription fee as a church to have access to those for our community groups. 11,000! Just the marriage section alone has hundreds. It's crazy! So it's not a lack of information. You know that the Bible app's the most downloaded app on uh, smartphones in the world? Did you know that? Number one downloaded app. Oh, yay! That's great! But if we don't read it and do it, it doesn't do us any good. Right? So it's not a lack of information that's keeping us living these selfish lives. It's a lack of application. And it's a lack of submitting to the Holy Spirit's work that He's trying to do in our heart that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. He's not doing it to embarrass you or shame you. He's doing it because He's wanting you to grow. And if you feel that tug at your heart, instead of ignoring that, submit to it and watch what God can do. But we can't gratify the flesh and make excuses and blame everybody else for why things are the way they are. I wouldn't be so mean if you would, if you would just do what I want you to do. I wouldn't be such a jerk if you would just cater my every whim. You know, I would be a better husband, but my wife. I would be a better husband, but my kids. I would be a better husband, but I would be a better Christian, but whatever comes out of the butt. It's the flesh speaking. That's good preaching right there. But here's the thing. The flesh said, I would forgive them, but... Are you hearing me this morning? The flesh says, I would live more Christ-like, but... 
and we justify doing things our own selfish way. God, help me see that it's not about me. So the first question is, how do I respond in a way that Christ would respond? How would he respond? What would Christ do in this moment, in this situation? The second question is this, what can I learn? Oh, this is going to be fun. Love and humility always look to learn, even if you were right. What? Even if you were right, love and humility always look to learn. Always, always, always. You can be 100% right and be so arrogant and full of pride because that was your goal. You wanted to get star by your name. You wanted to get your... Your, 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 your name and lights. I was right. And if being right was the goal, that's arrogance, that's pride, that's selfishness. And even if you're right, there's still something to learn. Even if you're 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong, if you lose your teachability, then you're opening up your heart for the enemy to come in. You're opening up the, your heart for the enemy to take hold of some things in your life. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul gives some instructions to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 4. Let's read in verse 20. Where he says, This is not the way you learned Christ Assuming that you have heard him and were taught by him as the truth is in Christ, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. He said, listen, if you stew on this thing and you don't handle it and you sit on it and you stuff it, he said, you're, you're giving opportunity for the enemy because as this thing marinates, it gets worse and worse and it becomes deeply seated in your heart. So even if you were right, it doesn't matter who was right and who was wrong. What can you learn? How would Christ respond and what could I learn? God, help me see that it's not about me. What can I learn from this scenario? If I lose my teachability, then I open the door for pride. Love and humility are always looking to learn not to be proven right because character is more important than being right. Character is more important than being right because being right glorifies you. Oh, I'm going to say that slow so I can say that some more because somebody wasn't listening. You was looking for a mint in your pocket or you was checking Facebook. I don't know what you was doing. Being right glorifies you. But being a person of Christ-like character glorifies God and points people to Jesus, not to you. It points people to Jesus and not to you. Because they recognize you're human and you are flawed. We collectively are flawed. But because we're flawed, it's not left up to us to try to do this in our own strength. 
It's Christ in me that is glorified when I finally submit myself to him and say, Lord, not my way, but your way. What can I learn from this? Even if I feel right, even if the other person was completely wrong, what can I learn? How would Christ respond to them? And what, well, what can I learn? Help me to approach that with humility, Lord, to be a person of Christ-like character, to always be teachable and humble. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God, help me see that it's not about me. The first question is how would Christ respond when selfishness would want to flare up, when that selfishness wants to get you stuck in the crazy cycle? Same thing over and over again. Same conversation, same trigger points, same old wounds being reopened. Oh, man, it gets so old, doesn't it? Same laundry list of things you like and don't like and same things, how good you think you are versus how bad the other person is. Same, same stuff. If we want something different to happen and we want to grow, we've got to do something different, folks. And we've got to stop. God, help me see it's not about me. How would Christ respond? What can I learn? And the third question is what can I mend? Oh, this one's a little tougher. Learning, that sounds fun. But mending, hmm, not as fun. Because some people don't want to mend wounds of the past because they're still concerned with being right. And they want to be so right, they don't want to mend anything because they feel like they'd lose their positioning. Come on. We feel like we'd lose our positioning, so we stay mad. We, we stay stuck. We live in the past. We stay offended. We stay angry. We stay bitter. And we allow the roots to grow even deeper in our heart. But then we begin to justify it all. Because you don't know what they did. Or I would do this, but. We begin to allow the flesh to creep up into our hearts. But when we live selfishly, we cause wounds and we hurt people in our wake. And I know that we, hurt, we receive hurt and wounds as well. And then it becomes, well, whose job is it to say they're sorry first? Whose job is it to try to mend first because you don't know what they did to me? No, I, I, I don't. And even if I did, I still would have to go back and say, how would Christ respond? And I have to go back and say, what can you learn from this? And then now, what is your responsibility to mend? Because as we realize we're representatives of Christ in the earth, I have died to myself. It's no longer about I being right and me being right and I being justified and everyone knowing how right I was and how wrong they were. It now becomes about me dying to self instead of justifying my actions, my reactions justifying the habits that I have now picked up in order to cope with the pain or to attempt to cope with the pain. Justifying those habits, justifying those abuses, justifying the 
isolation, justifying the anger and the outbursts and the outrage, justifying the alcohol addiction, the drug addiction, justifying the pornography addiction because you're not getting what you think you deserve, justifying snapping at your children, justifying all these things that are keeping us so far away from where God really intended us to be. And when we live life for me like that, it's miserable. It's miserable, but Christ has come so we could be set free. Amen, somebody? Amen. So instead of me being concerned with being right and being justified in the eyes of other people, why not instead be concerned about being justified in the eyes of God? And there's only one who can justify me in the eyes of God, and it ain't me. It's Jesus. Jesus can make me just in the eyes of God because of what he did, not because of what I did. So therefore, as a representative of Christ, as someone who is dying to themselves, what can I mend? This is part of being a living sacrifice. And mending things takes love and humility, does it not? It takes a lot of humility and love to step out and look at what you can mend, even if it's not necessarily your fault. Remember, it's not about whose fault it is. It's not about who's right. It's if we are going to grow in Christ's likeness and put this flesh to death, we have to deny ourselves the selfish privilege of being right. We have to deny ourselves that selfish privilege of feeling this, this feeling we get addicted to of being right. And everyone's wrong, or, or your frustrations are everyone else's fault, or you think you're the smartest person in the room and everyone else just doesn't get you. Or, or they just don't understand. Or why can't everyone just see it your way? Why can't your, your husband see it your way? Why can't your, your, your wife see it your way? Why can't the boss just see it my way? Why can't these people see it my way? And we got to stop. Because we're starting the crazy cycle of selfishness right back up. And this happens all the time. And people run away instead of growing. They just run away when things don't go their way. They run away from the job when the boss isn't doing what they think he should be doing. They just run away. They run away from the marriage because the, the other person isn't doing what they think they should be doing. They just run away from different churches because things aren't going the way they think they should go. They just run away from relationships with friends because someone upset another person and they just can't work it out. They just run away. We, we, we think that, that going somewhere else or, or finding someone else or getting the other job, we think that's going to be the answer. And we look for those perfect people to surround ourselves with. That, that, the, the, the right compatibility, you know, the right fit. And we search for that because it's everyone else that's the problem. And we never take responsibility to ask what could we mend. We never ask that question. We just make snap, snap judgments and we, we make gross assumptions because we've given opportunity to the devil. When we give opportunity to the devil, we allow those assumptions to marinate and then they become other stories and they become all these gross assumptions in our mind. And next thing you know, we're living in fantasy land, folks. And we've got everybody else already pegged that they're all against us. And we've already made them out to be the villain and the bad guy. And we've already concocted this story and then we go find other people to help give more life to it. So we spew our assumptions to other people and they only further feed it and make it even worse than it was before if they're not the right person that'll speak the truth and love to you. And now you're mad, they're mad, everybody's mad, let's all go be mad together. And no one's asking, what can I mend? 
No one is, is showing the love of Christ in the situation that may need to speak the truth in love, that may need to set Christ-like boundaries, that may need to ask, how would Christ respond? Is there anything we can learn from this or something we could have done differently? Or is there something that I need to mend? No one's asking those questions. Everyone just wants to be right. Self has to die in order for Christ to shine through us. That's not an easy road to go down. But you remember the scripture where Jesus said, come follow me, it's going to be super easy. You remember that scripture? It's a good one, isn't it? I have it on my wall at home, my living room. Easy streets. Walking on easy streets. Nope, that's not what he did. He said, hey, um, to follow me, why don't you first deny yourself? Take up your cross. Come follow me. Oh, and by the way, the world is probably going to hate you. And it's going to be because of me. So don't take it personally because it's not about you. It's about me. But if you follow me, oh, if you follow me, I'll lead you to everlasting light. I'll, my Father, will be glorified through you and in you. And you'll be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. You'll show Christ to the world who's the hope of the world. You'll help people to be rescued out of eternal darkness. Oh, it's so much better to follow Christ. But to follow Christ means I have to be a living sacrifice. So how are we going to live a God-first life in a me-first world? Think about the story of Peter. You remember the story about Peter when Jesus called him out of the boat to walk on water? You remember this story? Even people who didn't grow up in church probably know this story. It's, it's a really, it, there's a big storm going on, right? And Jesus and his disciples, or, or the disciples are on the boat, and they see a figure in the distance walking on water. Like, what? They're like, what's going on? Something supernatural is happening. And they they found out it was Jesus, and Jesus called and asked Peter to step out of the boat and come walk on the water. Now, this is crazy, because there's a storm going on. It's like, hey, Peter didn't have, like, water-walking lessons or anything. His parents didn't sign him up for that at the Y when he was a kid. I, Peter had never walked on water before. And not only was Jesus calling Peter to walk out on the water, he was like asking him at like the worst time to do something he'd never done before. I mean, couldn't we like start like on a, in a puddle, you know, or in Wisconsin, could we start in a creek once, you know, could we, could we try to walk on the creek, you know, and so, and if we could walk on the creek, we'd be good, and then let's try a stormy sea, you know. But he called him out in a worse situation to do something he never had done before that he couldn't have done in his own ability. And he stepped out on the water, and Peter walked on water. But when he got his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the storm, he began to sink. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because Jesus reaches his hand out, picks him up, and says, you need to trust me. Keep your eyes on me. He said, don't, don't, don't get your eyes on the storm, Peter. He's trying to let him know, have faith in me. And listen, folks, this me-first world is the storm that's raging. 
And, and, and you're going to walk out of this place today, and you're going to go back into the me first world, okay? It's going to be all around you. You're, you're going to wake up and go to work tomorrow in a me first world, all right? And it is the storm that's all around you, and it's raging. And Jesus is saying, why don't you come out here and follow me? And you're like, I don't know if I can. Don't worry, just keep looking at me. Jesus is saying, keep looking at me through the storm because you're going to be able to do something that you couldn't do on your own if you keep looking at me. Because in your own strength, you can't live a God-first life in a me-first world. You can't, no more than you can walk on water. But if you look at Jesus, all of a sudden, you can do something you couldn't do before in the worst possible world to try to do it in, in the worst day and time to possibly try to do it in. Where Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Come follow me. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'll give you my word to help you to grow. Yeah, you might sink a little bit, but don't worry. I'm still there. I haven't left you. Amen? And so when you walk out of these doors back into this me first world and, 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 and you're tempted to give opportunity or place to the devil, stop and say, God, help me see that it's not about me. And then ask yourself these three questions. How would Christ respond? What can I learn? And what can I mend? That will help temper your heart to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because if the pattern or the crazy cycle is ever going to be broken, you've got to do something different that you've never done before. You've got to step out and trust Jesus. You've got to do something you've never done before because everyone else isn't going to change for you. That would still be serving your selfish agenda to expect everyone to change for you. So everyone's not going to change for you. But to walk away from that pattern that, that's the pattern of the flesh, we have to die to self. We have to die to selfie. We have to recognize that, Lord, help me see. It's about you. It's not about me. How would Christ respond in this in a certain instance, and, and if you find yourself in a scenario where you start to sink and you're getting your eyes off of Christ and starting to get your eyes on yourself or getting your eyes on the storm around you, I want you to stop and I want you to do something. And, and God's been helping me grow in this lately to where I've actually been naming this thing. And I feel like when we recognize selfishness for what it is, I feel like if we had stopped and give it a name, that it would help us to recognize that it's sin. And I stop and I go, this is selfish and this is wrong. And I've done that in an active argument with my wife two days ago. <laughs> I'm still trying to grow just like everybody else. And we were arguing about something stupid and I was being very selfish and it was my fault that we were having the argument. And we were arguing about something. I had to stop and I said, I, I'm being selfish. I had to call it what it was. I had to kind of embarrass that sin before it embarrassed me. Hello, somebody. And I had to stop and say, whoa, this is selfishness. And then I said under my breath, because I had already prepared my message, and I knew I had that little, little quote in there. I said, God, help me see this isn't about me. Help me see it's not about me. How would Christ respond to my wife right now? And I was in the kitchen, and she was on the couch. And we weren't talking, because I had just been a jerk. And she's on the couch, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm walking around in the kitchen, and I'm trying to act like I'm busy doing something, but I had nothing to do. 
And what I was doing, I really didn't. Like the dishes were done, like the trash didn't need to be taken out. I got a rag and started wiping the counter. <laughs> Counters always need wiped. I have three kids. But I'm, I'm wiping the counters and I'm going, God, help me see it's not about me. And I had to ask myself, how would Christ respond to my wife right now? What would Christ do? Hmm. There's something I need to mend. <laughs> yeah. What could I learn from this? I had to stop myself in that moment. And then I reengaged my wife. And she didn't want to talk to me at first. But as she saw that my heart attitude was responding to her in a more Christ-like manner, her heart was open to finally wanting to talk to me about what I had caused, you know, the wound in. I didn't realize how much I'd upset her. But I had to repent for that, for being selfish. But I had to stop and call it what it was. You had to stop and go, hey, this is selfishness. This is not okay. God, help me see. It's not about me. How would Christ respond? What's my responsibility in this moment? What am I supposed to learn from this? Help me to see that, God. What am I supposed to mend in this? Maybe there's some things that are current that you need to do that, that with. Maybe there's some things that God's going to bring to your attention that are years and decades old that he wants you to still learn from and respond in a Christ-like manner and mend instead of running your mouth and speaking negatively about it. Instead of reliving it and open up the wound over and over again. You know the wounds never heal. you got to stop picking, right? Come on, somebody. How would Christ respond? God, help me see it's not about me. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word with our church family. I pray we take this to heart. I ask you, God, that we would see it's not about us. Help me see it's not about me, Lord. Help each one of us, God, to grow in love and humility, in serving one another, in being gracious to one another, in not being concerned with being right, but being concerned, Lord, with how can we show your love and your truth to a world that's desperately searching? How can we be that light, God, in the darkness by submitting to your ways, not our ways? By walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. By denying ourselves, by taking up our cross, by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Help us get that, Lord. Help us see that as we're growing in this process of sanctification. Help us to see that. Help us to live that. Help us to take this word today and actually apply it. Submit to that because of what you're wanting to work in our hearts, what you're wanting to work in our marriages, what you're wanting to work in our, in our jobs and with our relationships with friends and family and even in our church as we grow closer together and we want to maintain the spirit of unity. Father, help us to do this because it's only by your grace that we can live this way. It's only by your spirit and your power that you have enabled us to truly live a life where we can experience the freedom, Jesus, that you bought and paid for us on the cross, free from the bonds of the chains that selfishness will bring. Help us to recognize opportunities to respond in a Christ-like way and to act accordingly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.